We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 99. If you get anything out of this episode today, you have a few more books to add to your reading list. Our guest today is the self-published author of Equestrian Romance Series, Where the Bluegrass Grows, Kicking On, and Taking Off. I flew through these books, and I am so excited for more. So let's hear it from our guest today, Lori Bergley of Maryland Equestrian. Well, I am a huge fan of your books, and I feel like we were friends on Instagram, you know, a good while before I read your books, and so I loved that we were, we've kind of like put two and two together, and I'm like, oh right. my gosh, I love these <laughs> books. So I'm so happy Thank that you. you're on. I really am excited to pick your brain, but would love to hear first about how you got into the equestrian world. Sure. So I grew up with a mom who always rode. So my mom started riding when she was a kid and she got her first horse at 16. And then luckily she had her horses in the backyard. So I grew up on a small farm being able to walk outside and see the horses. And so that was kind of like this magical childhood dream to like, you know, run outside and come from school or whatever and have the horses there. My mom, she still rides. She's a western pleasure rider she loves trails and just you know just kind of pleasure riding but I always knew that I wanted to ride English and I think I started English lessons when I was eight or nine I can't remember and then I was in 4-H and I did that kind of thing all through middle school and high school excuse me and then I took a little break from horses during college just from a time perspective I just had a hard time fitting it in I knew I was always going to come back to horses And then I got married and, and, you know, had a little bit more time, had a little bit more money (laughs) to be able to get back into it. And then I got my, my one thoroughbred mare when I was, I guess I was about 25. And after that, it's just been like full steam ahead back into horses. And, you know, now I have a, we have a little horse farm. So I've got the horses in my backyard again. So I feel like everything has come full circle. Amazing. Oh, that's so cool. And then where did the name, like Maryland Equestrian, how did you decide or land on that? Sure. So years ago, probably like 2011, I started a blog about that particular mare. So she's off the track thoroughbred. And so the blog was really focused on her retraining, you know, to a riding horse and kind of all the challenges and whatnot that I faced with her. And then after a while, I kind of got to the point where I just didn't really have a lot of new things to say about her or the retraining. We had, you know, passed a lot of those things. And I realized that my blog was turning into just more of a lifestyle thing. And so I decided to rename it Maryland Equestrian just because it was about me, my horses, our farm. I would do book reviews, things like that. And then when I started my Instagram account, which I was a little late to the game with Instagram. I want to say I didn't join until like 2014 or 15. And so I just named it after my blog. I have gotten away from my blog over the last couple of years, just again, from a time perspective. 
but you know, the name has stuck. So it's basically me. I am Marilyn Equestrian. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. So at what point did you decide you wanted to do these equestrian books? I mean, had you been doing a lot of writing before or how did you land on that idea? So I was always a creative kid. I was always writing, you know, poems and short stories and things like that. And of course they were always horse related because I was, you know, that crazy horse girl, of course. But as I got a little older, I just always wrote for fun. I loved English. I have two degrees in English. And so that's just my passion is writing. And, you know, By the time I was, I guess, towards late college and then graduating college, like my dream was to buy a little horse farm, have my horses in the backyard and be an author. So I could work from home, you know, be with my horses all the time. And that was my dream. And so I started writing, but I was always working on some little writing project or writing for a variety of other blogs or magazines just for fun. And I started writing the story that would become my first novel, Where the Bluegrass Grows. And I just, I just stuck with it. You know, it was like one of those things where I would write for a couple weeks and then life would get busy and I would put it aside for a month, six months, you name it. Like it just, I wasn't consistent with it, but I kept coming back to it because I really grew to like my characters and I really grew to like the story. And I was, you know, I was curious. I was like, how is this going to end? What are these characters going to do? You know, like I didn't really have a clear cut plan for it. And so I was like, huh, let's see what happens. And then, uh, so I just really stuck with it. And finally, yeah, I finally finished it from, from start to finish for the first one. It was probably about a six year project because I was so inconsistent with it. Hmm. So then after that, you know, you publish it and you get some good feedback and then that really motivates you. So like for me, hearing from readers, you know, hearing the comments, having people email me or message me on Instagram, like that is so motivating for me. So that's when I got on board with writing the second one and then now the third one. And while I do not make a full-time living as an author, I feel like I have fulfilled that dream because I am an author. I do have a little horse farm, get to look outside and see my horses. So you know, I kind of feel like I set this goal and I made it, you know? Yeah. No, it's so funny because when you were describing your dream, I was like, don't look now, but <laughs> I think you've done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so pretty, cool. you know, it's pretty satisfying, but at the same time, like it still motivates you to, you know, cause I got to pay for this dream. So, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. know, you, you know, it's very motivating to to keep it and, you know, all the goals I have around here just for like house projects and things like that. And so all of the, you know, money I make from book sales, that's all, that all goes directly to like my horse stuff and my horse lifestyle. So like when I bought my, my new thoroughbred, gosh, it's been about a year ago now, I used a large portion of my book sales to buy him. So it was, you know, it's nice that it really benefits my horse life and it allows, you know, it allows me to have these opportunities to do the horse stuff where, you know, I might not have the extra money otherwise. Wow. That's so special. Yeah. What was the publishing process like? Had you had, I mean, having an English background, did you have a lot of connections to be able to connect with a publishing company or was that process really daunting? How was that for you? So I am self-published. And so a lot, there's a lot of um, authors who are published traditionally through um, a publisher and that, that did seem very daunting to me. So I didn't even know if I wanted to you know, even do that research or go down that 
yeah. that road. But I self-published through Amazon. They have a program called Kindle Direct Publishing. And that is super easy. They, they really walk you through it. You create a profile and they literally take you step by step. And, and you do it yourself. Like there's, there's no one on the other end that you're like talking with or working with. There's some support, you know, if you have to email somebody or whatnot. But in general, gotcha. like you just take it step by step. And luckily my husband is really good with some like techie graphic type stuff. So he's mm-hmm. designed my book covers and that sort of thing where I would have struggled otherwise. But, uh-huh. and it's free to publish through Amazon. So of course they take a royalty with every sale you have, but mm-hmm. in order to make that profile and work with them, there's no fee involved. So that's cool. really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Once you had book one out, were you, I mean, did you write the first book or finish the first book knowing that they were going to be multiple? I did not. So okay. <laughs> yeah. Because so when you read when you read book one and like knowing mm-hmm. that there's three, when I finish the first book, I'm like, uh, like okay, this is like the perfect entry and like to start the second book. Yes, yes. So when I finished it, I just thought, you know, that it was just going to be a standalone. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there's two main characters. Molly is the main character of the first one, but there's another character named Macy who's really, you know, she's a really heavily you know, minor character. Mm -hmm. So as I'm writing that first one, I'm like, I really like Macy. You know what? I'm going to give Macy her own story. And so that way I knew they were going to be connected, but you can read them out of order if you'd like, even though it it does make sense to go chronologically. But so I was like, I'm going to give Macy her, you know, her, her own story. And then the same thing as I was writing book two, there's another character named Aaron who you know, she becomes a really big character in book two. So I was like, you know, I really like Erin. I'm going to give her her own (laughs) book two. And so she is book three. And so what I think I'm going to do is just rotate between the three of them, you know, moving forward. I haven't started book four. I've got some other projects on the back burner that I've been playing around with. Book four, based on feedback from everybody, they seem to want more of Macy. So book four might, might go back to Macy. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have from feedback, do you have people giving you like an overwhelming favorite book between the three? I do. So between the three, it seems people really like the second and the third the best. Okay. People who have gone all the way through seem to like the third, which is called taking off. But it's interesting because out of the three characters, people like Macy the best. Macy's book is book two. So it was interesting that they like her personality best, but just the overall book, they like Aaron's best. So it's, it's interesting. I'm always begging people, like when they finish stuff, I'm just like, Hey, can you give me some more feedback? Hey, can Mm -hmm. I email you some questions? You know, because I always want to hear from them because I want to know what did you like? What didn't you like? What do you want to see more of in the future? Because, you know, I write for my audience. I want them to buy my books and enjoy them and recommend them. So I want to, you know, give them what they want. Absolutely. Have you found that having your, like you had had your Instagram account, you had had Merlin Dequestrian and -hmm. then your books were coming out. Uh, Has that been where you primarily are getting your feedback, like kind of communicating with people that way? Mm -hmm. Yes. Instagram, it has been huge for me. So I have a very small Facebook page that I don't really update often, but I, I am on Facebook as well, but Instagram's my main platform. And so people will usually message me there. I do get some direct emails, which is nice too. 
but typically people will just comment on a post or they'll send me a private message and that's the way we communicate. And, you know, Instagram's been great. So between publishing my first and my second book, I think about three years passed. And so during that time, my Instagram account, you know, continued to grow. And so when I published that second one, I saw such a huge spike in sales because I had a bigger audience and a bigger platform. And that was just, and it's just amazing to be able to have that type of reach and to be able to communicate with your readers and really get their feedback. And it's, it's such a great platform and that's how we met. Exactly. (laughs) I know. I love it. When you are writing a book, tell me a little bit about your process. I know your first book took like six years, but do you have like a, (laughs) do you have like a research process? Do you just do it based off of the, you know, the skills and the, and the things that Mm -hmm. you know already? What, What does that look like? Sure. So I am, I call myself, I'm like a fly by the seat of my pants type of writer. So, Love it. you know, I do know that there are writers out there who make very detailed outlines going into writing a book. I am not one of those people. I like to make, I mean, I'm talking like a 10 bullet point type outline, very, yeah. very vague. And because I don't want to feel constricted to it, if, if I'm going along with the story and I feel like it's taking me in another direction. I don't want to feel like I'm, I like the characters and the scenes and whatnot to develop very organically and feel like, okay, this is happening realistically. This isn't me just trying to like push it into a direction. It doesn't really want to go in. Got and it. so, yeah, so I don't particularly use an outline, but as far as my subjects, I have to know what I'm writing about and have to have been to the, those places. So the first book takes place in Lexington, Kentucky. The second one takes place in in Moncton, Maryland, which is about 15 minutes from my house. And the third one takes place in the Plains, Virginia. And so these are all places I know very well and have been to because I need to have been there, seen it, experienced it in order Mm -hmm. to write about it. And I just can't, God bless those writers who can, you know, write about places and things that they've never experienced. I can't do that. So just know, you know, this is, my, my work is legitimate in terms of a lot of the place. Now, some places are fictional. Like I'll, I'll make up a name of a barn or something sure. like that. But a lot of the restaurants are, you know, real restaurants that I've been to, show venues, things like that. I, I want a reader who's familiar with the area to read it and be like, oh my gosh, I've been there or I ate there too, or I drove by that place. Mm. And I want them to have that personal connection with it. Let's hear a word from our lovely sponsor, Georgian Dollar. Georgian Dollar is a UK equestrian jean brand that's driven by a passion for quality, comfort, and design. Jeans that look good and feel good, on or off the horse, be it mucking out, hacking out, or going out. I have to say, George and Dollar are the first pair of denim breeches that I owned, and I was a little skeptical, but I love these breeches. They are so comfortable, so stretchy, and so flattering. I love them, and they look great out of the saddle, too. They really do. So if you want more information, head over to their website, georgiandollar.co.uk. That's G-E-O-R-G-I-A-N-D-O-L-L-A-R.co.uk. You will not be sorry. Thank you so much, Georgian Dollar. All right, let's get back to the episode. So you were saying that you were, there's thoughts of book four. Do you have in the back of your head how many you want to do in this series? I don't. So I want to, 
again, because I don't always know <laughs> how I'm going to end a book or yeah. where the book is going to take me. So, you know, I want it all to develop naturally. And if I get to a point where I feel like I've run out of story, then I'll stop. But if I feel like I still have something else to say, or if a character still has more, you know, to show or, and talk about, I'll keep going. But I'd like to rotate between those three characters. So cool. I I just love how you have, I mean, like what you were talking about before, how you have created something for yourself that you can use the income to you know, mm-hmm. continue your passion of horses. I think that's so special. And it's something that I think a lot of us who are in this community are constantly looking for, you know, just the ability to be able to continue to ride somehow, some way. What are you doing when you aren't riding? What is your full-time job? Yes. So my husband and I own a travel agency. Amazing. And up until this year, it was um, a pretty darn good business to be in. <laughs> Oh, boy. Everything and, you know, the quarantine and all the travel restrictions, it was really tough. We went months without any income at all. But thankfully, things are starting to open back up and we've had groups travel. So we can book anywhere and everywhere. But we really specialize in booking large groups like destination weddings to Mexico and the Caribbean. Cool. That's our bread and butter. And that's something he started probably about seven or eight years ago. He was a, a photographer prior to that, and he started the travel agency just because it was a passion and just, you know, to make some extra money. And then it just grew to the point that in 2018, I left my corporate job to join wow. him and work with him. So we work together. We haven't killed each other. <laughs> We're still married. <laughs> oh, that is a win for sure. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's my quote unquote day job. <laughs> Love it. And does it give you a good amount of flexibility to still be able to write when you want to? It does. It does. So, you know, of course it depends on what's coming in through the inbox and how many people are traveling at that moment. But what I like to do at least two or three days a week is I, you know, I get up and I do all of my travel stuff in the morning and in the afternoon, I try to devote to my writing, whether it's a book or one of the magazines I write for, or just something like that. It's just, you know, that the, the ones I call like my little passion projects. So I try to do that at least two to three days a week. I try to set my afternoons aside for my writing. It doesn't always work out, but it does give me a lot of flexibility when you work for yourself. You know, you can, you can pick and choose a lot of when you're going to sit down and, and write or work for hours or not, or, exactly. you know, sometimes I take my writing lessons in the morning and I know that's going to throw everything off. And so I work late at night. But I love it though. I like the flexibility. Totally. I know there's always this, uh, sometimes this like misconception of if you work for yourself or have your own job that you work less or, you know, whenever Mm -hmm. you want. And it's like, you know, it honestly, sometimes more, it's just the hours are weird (laughs) because you're putting it around the other stuff that you want to do and want to have as part of Mm -hmm. your day. But it's like you said, it's totally worth it. No, it's just, it's funny because like, if I had a dollar for every time someone goes, oh, you work from home, you don't work. You know, it's like, what, like, how do you think I pay my bills? Of course I work, you know, it it really is this misconception, but I wouldn't change it for anything. What are some goals that you have for your horses? Are you, you know, are you showing what, what does that kind of look like for you, for your aspirations, for your riding and your horses? Sure. So I have three horses 
They're all thoroughbreds. Two of them are a little bit older. One is uh, 16 and one is 17. So they're both semi-retired. And then I've spent the last, I guess, two and a half, three years, I was riding um, my one instructor's horse for a long time. And I was getting some show ring miles that I really didn't have as a kid. I, like I said, I grew up in doing 4-H, but I could only afford to show like maybe once or twice a year. And Uh so I didn't get a whole lot of experience. And so you know, competing was still relatively new to me as of a couple years ago. So I was able to ride her horse, get back in the show ring, did mostly hunters and just had, you know, he was such a nice experienced horse that I was able to really concentrate on me and learn without having to worry about, oh my gosh, you know, I have to think about my horse. He mm-hmm. was, he's a definition of a unicorn. Like wow. does it lead changes without you asking, like knows exactly what to do. Oh, that's so cool. Great to learn on. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Do you have a specific reason for having you know, all three of your horses are thoroughbreds? Yes. So I am, I don't know what it is. It, it was a combination of growing up in Maryland. So we've got a really thriving racing population yeah. in our industry. So there were thir- thoroughbreds are everywhere. So we just grow up learning to ride on thoroughbreds here because yeah. they're just, they're a dime a dozen. But I don't know if it was from reading the thoroughbred books by Joanna Campbell. Oh, yeah. Maryland. It's just a combination of everything. But like thoroughbreds to me, they're just perfection. I love the look. I love, you know, they're sensitive. They're very, very willing animals. And so when I was looking for my third horse, which I got about a year ago, you know, I really, again, I wanted a thoroughbred, but I wanted something after spending a couple of years riding this unicorn, like I wanted something yeah. really quiet. And, you know, that doesn't always go hand in hand with thoroughbreds. Sure. But my new guy, Swift, I got, he was trained to race, but he never actually made it to the track. But then he spent a couple of years fox hunting, which is another big, you know, there's a lot of fox hunters in yeah. my area. So, you know, you have to be a quiet horse to fox hunt successfully so he just fit the bill so I was so happy because you know I, I do I love my thoroughbreds I love how you know they all have that feisty thoroughbred brain sometimes but in general I don't know there's just something about them my heart always skips a beat whenever I see them oh I love that yeah I, I've you're talking to my first horse was a four-year-old off the track thoroughbred chestnut mayor. So, (laughs) so while the, yeah, I totally understand the Mm -hmm. feistiness and the sassiness, but their drive and their willingness to work for their person Mm -hmm. is so incredible. And you can't really find that in many other breeds. Right. Right. So I was super happy that, you know, I ended up getting swift. Like when I was looking for that third horse, I knew you know, I told my trainer, I was like, the right horse will be the right horse, regardless of the breed or anything like that. And, you know, but I was secretly hoping it would be another thoroughbred and it was. Amazing. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? You know, I was thinking about this and, you know, I wouldn't say that this is something that we really need to spotlight, but it's something that I deal with every day. And it's just, it's an interesting thing is people who keep their horses at home. So me, for example, so a small horse farm owner mm-hmm. who is out there every day doing everything from, you know, maintaining the, the farm and riding the horse and caring for the horse. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when I talk to people who board, they're like, oh my gosh, that's my dream. I want to have my horses in my backyard. <laughs> and 
it is, it is my dream and I wouldn't change it, but there's so much more that people who haven't had their horses in their backyard don't know about. Yes. Um, and, you know, good and bad, but you know, it's very, very lonely and isolating. So, you know, I, obviously I have a husband and I have a neighbor who has horses as well. And so she'll come over, but you know, it's just me out there. I ride by myself. There's that safety element that mm-hmm. I worry about, you know, because I try not to ride unless my husband's home, but I can't always coordinate with him. And so there's that, like, if I fall and get hurt, how long before someone's going to find me? Yeah. And it's just that, it's just that element of, you know, people think that this is, this is exactly what I want. I want my horses in my backyard. And while I agree with that, and I say, if that's what you want, go for it. There's a lot that goes into it. And like I said, it's very lonely and isolating. And while it's nice to look outside and see my horses, at the same time, I also have to make sacrifices. Like I don't have a ring. I don't have an indoor. I don't have access to trails. Like a lot of things that you would get with boarding. And so I call myself like the backyards, you know, the backyard horse owner. There's a lot of things that we go through and we feel like, like we're alone, you know, whereas like boarding people, you know, people who board, they have their other boarders to rely on or the barn manager or something like that. You always have a friend to ride with. It's just, it's, so it's not like an area to spotlight in terms of, you know, like a horse rescue or something like that, but it's just, it's a, a group of us who... I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, but we're, that makes perfect sense. And I, I feel like, like you were saying, there's good and there's bad that someone who hasn't experienced before doesn't, doesn't realize. And I give you so much credit because like, like being gone, even for little bits of time, like there's that whole aspect to people who us boarders can just pick up and be gone for a weekend or, you know, go, go oh, yeah. on vacation. It's like, well, Traveling is so hard. Yeah. And like, I'm in a travel agency. So that's part of my job <laughs> is to get out there and go. But what happens is like, for example, my husband's in Mexico right now, but I couldn't go because I couldn't find anyone to watch the horses. And while I do have, you know, my mom, my sister, my neighbor, you know, people I can rely on, it's not like saying, Hey, can you watch my dog for a couple of days? Like right. I'm saying, Hey, can you muck three stalls and, you know, cart this hay around and do all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff? Like this is really physical work. And so I feel like I can't, I can't ask for favors like that often, you know? Right. So when I do travel, I really have to pick and choose because I don't want to, you know, throw all of this work on someone. Totally. What are your favorite parts of having your barn in your backyard? I love, I mean, so first off, you just, it's so nice to just look outside and see them. Yeah. And so my one gelding, he's a cribber. And so he gas colics all the time. Gotcha. And I can look outside and see instantly, oh, here we go. Whereas Mm -hmm. if he was boarding, he might not have eyes on him, you know, for hours or whatnot. Whereas I'm here constantly keeping an eye on him. So I've caught them all like right when they're beginning to colic or right when they have an injury or something Mm -hmm. I'm here 24 seven yeah um it's also so nice from a time perspective even if you live close to your barn it's nice that I don't have to get in the car and go anywhere Mm -hmm. you know when I want to ride I come back in I put my breeches on I change I just walk right outside and tack up nice it's just you know not that you know, it's still nice to have that social aspect at the barn. And I do miss that, but it's so nice to just, you know, you don't have to worry about like, did somebody take my brush? 
Did somebody borrow my that and not uh-huh. return it? It's like nobody's doing that here. And so it's yeah. just, you know, even if you have a great barn, there's still, I'm sure, a little bit of that going on. It's just like, so there's no stress with with you know other borders or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Totally. But it's so nice, you know, like there's so many little projects we've already accomplished and so many more we want to do in terms of renovations. And it's just so fulfilling to see it come together. And even if it's just little things, some things make such a huge difference in terms exactly. of physical work and time management. And like when we check these little projects off the list, like I feel like I've won the lottery. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm I'm a to-do list girl too. So, and especially with our, we're always living in a house that we're renovating. So it's, oh man, yeah, so you it know is so it. nice. <laughs> exactly. When you are doing a little bit more and showing maybe a little bit more, do you find it a struggle to get your horse in training at home and with, with your barn situation, or you were saying not having an arena, what do you Mm -hmm. do to get your horses fit so that you could do something like that? Yes. So what I have started to do is I trailer off. So I've been working with the new trainer for about six months now, and he has a really nice indoor and an outdoor. And thankfully he's about seven minutes away. Nice. I got a horse trailer last late last year. So I I'm actually able to trailer in and out now. And I, so once a week I go in for a lesson from a weather perspective, I can ride pretty comfortably at home from like, I'd say late April through right about now. So like by early November ish is when the weather's going to change and it's going to just be too muddy. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I'll, I'm hopefully, I'm going to start trailering out at least twice a week to use the indoor. Okay. But it definitely does. It makes it, you know, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, the horses are here, but like I said, if you don't have a ring and you live in an area where the climates, you know, you have these muddy winter months, it can be hard to stay in training. So I trailer out and then fingers crossed in another year or two, we're, possibly hoping to do an outdoor and that would be a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I hope so. Well, Lori, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I, everyone needs to read your books. They are so good and really quick reads too. I bring them on vacation with me or when I'm going to be on the airplane for a little bit. And I just love them. I have a trip in a couple days to Kentucky and I'm going to bring book three with me. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.